Oh, drunk Bruce Arians from the post-Super Bowl celebration telling both Levante David and Chris Godwin, your ass ain't going nowhere. Sorry, London, right out of the gates. And that's a fitting introduction to the show because Chris's ass went somewhere. We're 20 seconds to air, and he's running around in the studio looking for a garbage can. Just throw that on the floor. We got a TV show to do. What the hell? Well, I have have my coffee cup, right? So I put hot water in it. So, like, the cup is hot when I pour the coffee in it, right? So usually a few seconds before the show, I dump that hot water into the garbage can, and then I fill it up with coffee. So... We had to make other plans because I couldn't get the garbage can. So there's a puddle. Wait, on, wait a minute. Wait there's a, minute. a puddle on this, the floor here at NBC Studios right now. Th- this unlocks an entire universe yeah. of yep. questions. Yes. Let me begin with this. Right. What the hell did you just say? What the you hell? You put hot water in a cup? I do. Like To keep the cup warm? I want the cup. The coffee's hot. I know. The coffee warms the cup. The mug only stays hot so long, so I want my co- my coffee nice and hot. And sometimes I come in here, the studio's cold, my cup's freezing. So I pour the cup coffee in there, and it's cold, you know. It's, it doesn't stay warm long enough, so it's a little bit of my process. So that's what I do. So the cup gets nice and hot, I pour the coffee in there, and now I can sip and feel good. And usually there's a garbage can there. Now there's a puddle. So, <laughs> so you, you also have a habit. I'm now learning of actually pouring liquids into the trash. Yes, right now that's, I do. That's part of your process. Is that a get, so, is, that, is that a bad thing? Is that so a- when so when the custodians come right to empty the garbage, they have a surprise in the form of liquid that has been mixed with all the other stuff that's been thrown in the trash can. That's what you're telling me. Well, I I guess so. But I mean, I don't know. Is that crazy? I mean, I see people discard like, you know, little uh, milk with cereal into the, and there's still milk in it. So I don't think it's that crazy of an idea there. You mean you? People. Other people. I see other people people here at NBC. (laughs) I see them do it. So I, I mean, a little liquid in the garbage is that I didn't know that was against the law. Now I just pouring I, water on I the try floor avoid, might be against the law. <laughs> I, I, try, I try, especially if you slip and fall in it and break something. But you've just supplied NBC with all that they'll need to successfully defend the workers' comp process yes. that you would initiate because it's your own damn fault that you put the water on the floor. I, I one of my pet peeves is when I'm in a Starbucks and I haven't been in a Starbucks in a very long time, been anywhere in a very long time because of the pandemic and somebody gets a coffee instead of asking them to leave room for milk, they actually pour the coffee, the excess coffee into the hole in the trash. And I'm thinking somebody has got to deal with that at some point. They don't need a bunch of coffee. Imagine if, you know, 5% of the people who come in over the course of the day do that, how much coffee you're getting into the I'm just, you know. Yeah, I, just, I know. I, I as I mean, somebody it, who wants cleaned out dumpsters at Kentucky Fried Chicken, I have some sympathy or empathy. I never know the right word for people who have to deal with foul, disgusting messes. Pouring water into the garbage can is something that I'm. I'm just trying to. I'm trying it's to not think foul of the or have disgusting. to deal with your mess. All right. Well, but not, once it mixes with the other trash, it can be that way. Okay, it can be. I mean, trash is trash. So I, you know, you don't I don't know what else there. you're putting in garbage now, and I don't think I want to know. We got a show to get to. <laughs> okay, let's go. All right. Uh, there's a segue somewhere, somehow, between putting things in the trash can and applying or not applying the franchise tag, but I'm not uh, sufficiently 
witty to come up with that. Let's just say it's time to get to the show. Yesterday was the deadline for putting the franchise tag on any player whose contract will otherwise expire on Wednesday, March 17 at 4 p.m. Eastern. Now, let's just enter this discussion acknowledging what the franchise tag is. Whatever word you apply to it, you can call it anything you want. It's a device for the teams to keep players from getting to the open market and maximizing their compensation, specifically into that second year, guaranteed money into that second year. You always get less under the franchise tag, unless you've got general managers, owners, coaches who don't know what the hell you're doing. The player's getting less than he otherwise could have gotten by hitting the open market. This isn't a good thing. We explained that last week. It's not a positive thing. It's not an honor. It's not some sort of distinction or designation that the player gets a trophy for. It's a thing that keeps a player from getting what he should be getting, or at least delaying it for now. So, with that said, Chris, yeah. 10 franchise tags were extended on Tuesday. And let's dispense with Dak Prescott right out of the gates. We talked about this yesterday. That was done at his mandate, at his directive, to ensure that he'll never be tagged again. That's the first time that I think this has ever happened, where a guy does a long-term deal before the deadline for applying the tag, and he gets the team to apply the tag anyway because it helps in his quest to never be tagged again. Right. No, I've never seen that. I don't. I mean, you know, me in general, first off, I mean, that was a smooth move uh, by Dak Prescott, his representation, all of that, certainly. And, you know, back to the franchise thing, too. Yeah, it drives me crazy just to make one comment on that. I don't like the franchise tag. Is that ex-player? Of course I don't. Why would I like the franchise tag? It's the only business in the world that has anything similar to that. Hey, you're one of the best there is out there, but we're not going to give you any long-term security. We're going to screw you over in one of the riskiest businesses, you know, there is out there. And I understand they're going to make a big chunk of change, but it's still about market price. And that's where I just, I hate, I hate the franchise tag because it really does limit players and their ability sometimes to get that big payday, get that long-term security and not have to worry about, Ooh, I got injured and now everything's, you know, down the drain. You know, we've been doing this for three and a half years. Yeah. Eventually, later this year, it'll be four. That's how the passage of time works. I think I'm starting to get you to come around on my notion that the draft is anti-American and there's no other industry in which incoming employees are distributed that way. Because at the core of what you just said about the franchise tag is the same concern. There's no other business where the employees get treated this way. You're punished for your success. You're restricted because you're good. You're due to earn, so you can't. That's the franchise tag. And Chris, here's here's the reality. Right. From time to time, I'll hear union or players or whoever say, well, the franchise tag's got to go. Well, it's not going anywhere because, first of all, the league has to put it on the table for negotiation within the confines of CBA discussions. Right. Second of all, If it ever would be on the table, think about the value that it has to a team. Think about the value it has to the league in holding down salary because every guy that you tag is one less guy who can stretch that rubber band as far as possible and pull others with him because now he's got a new record high contract that he gets on the open market. The value of the tag to the league would make the concession that the union would have to give to get the league to give up the tag astronomical. So it's never 
going away. It's always going to be part. Yeah. Watch, they'll get rid of it next year now that I said that. No, but I believe it's won't. always going to be part right. of the fabric of the NFL because it's been there. And one last point. We, we were texting about this in, in the aftermath of that great photo of the quarterback club with Steve Young on his tiptoes like Cristiano Ronaldo and, <laughs> and, and Phil with his hands on Jim Everett's shoulders and just a great picture with Zubaz print right, everywhere. Right. That was the quarterback club that emerged in the aftermath of the shutting down of the union after yeah. the failed 1987 strike. There was a great antitrust lawsuit led by Reggie White. The, the the players had the league on the ropes, and they settled for this CBA that has the franchise tag in it. I, I'm a firm believer they should have kept pushing. They should have kept going and going and going and going, and maybe there would have never been a franchise tag. So that's where it came from, yeah. from that antitrust litigation, and it's never leaving, and we just have to deal with it. But it's not a day of celebration for the players. It's a day of celebration for the ones who aren't tagged. It's not a day of celebration for the ones who are. No, it's not. You know, there, there, it's a little bit of like, oh man, I'm not going to get a long-term contract. There is a little bit of, wait, I am the franchise guy where you do feel special. You know, I mean, of course that there was that thought in the locker room as I was playing, like to go, Hey, I'm, I'm the franchise guy. They were willing to give me that money and do that. But still, that's not what you want as a player, even though that guy could wear that as a badge of honor. And yeah, I'm making a lot of money this one year. And hey, I'm obviously important to the team. I'm the one guy they franchised. Nobody wants it. So yes. And again, I'm not trying to sound like a spoiled brat and make players sound like spoiled brats too. They're not yeah. spoiled. I know. They're not spoiled. I know. But they're entitled you know, to make every last penny they can get. I know. But I'm just, you know, I'm going by, if you read the comments under some article you write about this on Pro Football Don't. Talk or anywhere, I know. Don't. But that, that's where all oh, spoiled Don't. players and all the, all they do is screw play them. football. I know. Screw, screw them. them is right. Okay. They're entitled like to their opinion, but we're entitled to say screw them. Yes. Okay. Right? If they're just wrong. Yes. All right. Okay, cool. And those are the ones that don't get deleted. Those are the ones that make it past the screeners. Uh, you can imagine what I people can. will say under the cloak of anonymity that comes from comments. And uh, now we're starting down another track. I mean, speaking about pouring liquid into the trash can, we've come, come so close to pouring the comments section into the trash can. And that's an ongoing discussion. And who knows? That may be floating around somewhere with your liquid. All right. Stay <laughs> on target, Pete's telling me. Come on, Pete. Making the Star Wars reference. Although... My, my tweet to announce that the show was starting is also a Star Wars reference, so I can't give Pete a hard time for that. Here we go. Beyond Dak Prescott, right. finally, we're getting there. Yeah. The tags were distributed to nine different players. And let's just talk through them as they pop up. Let's start with the guys tagged for the second straight year. Those are the guys who are either going to get long-term deals by July 15, or they will be free agents next year because the franchise tag for Allen, not Allen, Allen Robinson's not second straight year. He, he, uh, Brandon Scherf, Leonard Williams, Justin, Justin Simmons, Simmons are, are second right. straight year. Allen Robinson, we need to fix that graphic. Pete says it's his mistake. Pete apparently was not staying on target when he was putting this graphic nope. together. Take that. Chop his so head off. Scherf, the hell of them. Scherf, Leonard Williams, and Justin Simmons, they're not going to get tagged next year, so it's either a long-term deal or they're going to be walking away in free agency after two years of being tagged, Chris. And, uh, you know, it's a big price tag. It's a 20% raise over their tag from last year, but it just shows you what the teams think of these guys, and it shows you how important it is to be able to keep these guys from walking away to the highest bidder, and these teams don't want to have to worry about someone else paying more for the services of these three players. No, definitely not. And all three of those players are like huge parts of their football team. 
you know, they all they kind of they got they got the teams backed into a corner a little bit because of the situation. Brandon Scherf, let's just start there. He is he's one of the best guards in football. And then even with the second year franchise tag, you know, it, it is not a, a number that you look at and go, well, this is ridiculous that they're paying him. No, it, it's really it's not far off from what if he signs a long term deal, what his average per year contract will be. So to me, that was a no brainer with Brandon Scherf and, and, and doing that. Um, he's too good of a football player. You don't let that guy walk out the door. Leonard Williams, you know, again, we know a really good football player, but he's got the leverage and the thing you've talked about many, many times, you know, whether it was Jalen Ramsey or a few other guys where they get traded, a team gives up, you know, a decent haul for the guy. And now he's played really well. And he's one of the few guys that can pressure the quarterback on the football team. In fact, he's really the only guy. Everybody else we've talked about, it's, it's about size. They're physical up front with the Giants. But he's the true disruptor of the group. So, yeah, they keep him. And I understand that. He's the only presence they got on the outside edge of the line. And he's versatile and can move inside and do a lot of things there. And we talked about Justin Simmons yesterday, who I think is one of the three best safeties in football, uh, without question. And with him, with the Vic Fangio scheme and all that, and again, you know, Mike, you look at that number and go, okay, even what he's making for a second-year franchise tag number, it's not astronomical to where you go, oh, that's crazy for one year for a free safety. Again, when you match it up with the other top average salaries at the position, it's right there with it. So to me, that, that it made sense, and I would think, like, I would think Scherf and Simmons for sure have a good chance of getting a long-term deal done. The Leonard Williams one, I think, might be a little tricky. And, you know, the reality is all these guys should have had their long-term deal last year in the form of either leaving through free agency or having their teams compete with these other franchises and paying more money to keep them around and giving them more security. And to get the second tag, that meant they had to survive the injury risk right. last year survive the risk that maybe they weren't going to be as desirable because trust me none of these guys would have been tagged a second time if their teams didn't say we must keep them based upon how they performed last year not well you know what we did the franchise tag it's you know he he regressed and now we're going to let him leave these are all players who are highly desired by their teams and they are sticking around so those are the three that were tagged a second time and again July 15 the clock now ticks toward that date as the deadline for a long-term deal couple of receivers got tagged one not a surprise the other to me a surprise let's start with Allen Robinson the Bears receiver we saw this coming we knew this was coming we sensed it was coming the Bears don't have a bunch of great players on offense they're scrambling to find a quarterback whoever their quarterback is and what a feeling that's got to be for Allen Robinson right. hey I'm gonna be with the team this year I don't have any idea who the quarterback's gonna be no I, I mean tough spot for him there's no commitment for a long-term salary at least he's been disgruntled about that really since the halfway point of last year we started to hear those rumblings right and you said it right Mike I mean he's one of the few real maybe only blue chipper on the whole offense to where you go wait wait this guy we we got to look at him and, and game plan for him a little bit and we got to make sure in certain situations we got the right matchup you know again I don't look at him as a top five receiver in football, Allen Robinson, but he's one of those guys that's in that top 10 conversation. You know, like we talked about last year, there's 20 receivers that you could say are in the top 10 conversation. But but yes, either way, he's their most dangerous weapon on the offense. And, you know, I, again, 
a team that seems in flux right now about what to do and are they going to make a move for Russell Wilson or Deshaun Watson and all those type of things, you can't let him hit the free agent market. They need to keep him in case they maybe want to use him as you know part of an asset to trade him as well. So for me, that was a no-brainer. made a lot of sense that they kept Allen Robinson. Not easy to trade a franchise tag no. player. He has to be fully on board with it. He has to sign his franchise tender first and foremost right. because you can't trade a guy who is on the tag but has yet to accept the tag. And then after that, the new team is going to want a long-term deal most likely. They don't want to step into the shoes of the franchise tag team. And that makes it something that only is going to happen if the player wants to do it. And you talk about the prospect of trading Allen Robinson. If he would go to Seattle with Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf, that that would be strange, to say the least, yes. to have him at it. Now, it would make for a great receiving core, but if you're a pass catcher and you want to catch passes and they don't know who the Seahawks quarterback is going to be, but they got DK Metcalf, Allen Robinson, and Tyler Lockett, it just seems like Robinson wouldn't get the kind of of production that he had this past no. year when he had 102 receptions for 1,250 yards. And Robinson, I, I just asked the the crew that works with me at PFT if this has happened before or how, how often it happens, because I think this is a rarity, where a guy gets franchise tagged not on the completion of his rookie contract. This is a guy who finished his four-year rookie deal in Jacksonville, right, right. left as a free agent, yeah. spent three years with the Bears, and now is getting tagged after seven NFL seasons and two teams. Usually it's four or five years out after you've been drafted. That's You're when right. you get franchise really tagged by the team that drafted you. So I'm curious if there's some way to research that and see how many guys are like this. I think Phil Dawson has been in that boat, but if you set aside kickers and punters, Shaq, I don't think guys get tagged Shaq very often. Barrett in our well, year. that's right, that's Shaq Barrett. Exactly. Yeah, right. That's a good one. Denver, four years, went to Tampa for a year, got tagged. So that's another guy who has moved as a free agent already, yeah. but then had the door slammed in his face. So maybe it's not as rare as I'm thinking. No, I the think usual it is, Mike. Path, I, think though, right. is, I think you're right. The usual path is finish your rookie contract and get tagged or not tagged. Chris Godwin. The guy who got tagged in Tampa instead of Shaq Barrett. That's what surprised me. And yeah. when I saw the news that the Bucks were going to tag receiver Chris Godwin, a guy that I thought they could afford to let walk away given the depth of the position, and they needed to keep Barrett, I thought, well, we're going to hear that later today Shaq Barrett has a long-term deal. They're right. talking, but he doesn't have a long-term deal. So they may see Shaq Barrett walk away in free agency, Chris, because they have no way to keep him from leaving now that they used their one and only one tag on Chris Godwin. No, it's uh, that was the I think the splash of the day. You know, added to right first they got the Levante David contract. We saw that get done, and you went, "Whoa, okay, that's not a crazy price. Pretty manageable for what they did there." Wow, big, a great job by Jason Light and the Bucks re-signing Levante David. There you go, and then. Yeah, I expected to hear Shaquille Barrett as as the franchise guy as well. Um, either way, Chris Godwin is worthy of being tagged. He is that type of talent. There's no doubt about that. And he's just hitting the prime of his career. So he's got lots of years in front of him. And I'm sure they don't want to see him walk out the door. But when you get into like the conversation, too, about Shaq Barrett, yeah, it's either like, it, it's either one, they felt like, okay, we're going to get a deal done with him that's pretty manageable, or it's two, holy crap, he's really priced himself out of this, and this is an issue here, and I don't know if we're going to re-sign him. And I, I don't know, I have no inside info on where that goes, but the, to me that's at least the, the two things that, that seem to be apparent here. I don't know. How do you got any feel for that? 
Well, I, I I was surprised that that Godwin got the tag. Yeah, because they already have Mike Evans, right? And they're paying him a significant amount. Rarely can you see a team afford to put that much money into two receivers. They can do it for one, yeah. but you typically can't do it for two. It's not unprecedented, but it's hard to do it for two. Secondly, with so many great young receivers every year now coming out in the draft, I feel like dollar for dollar, yeah. and every team goes through this exercise, dollar for dollar, you can't justify tying up that much money in a position where, look, they found Tyler Johnson last year, and they like Tyler Johnson. You bump him up, and you backfill with another rookie. And you've got Scotty Miller, a guy that you drafted, and or, or was even undrafted. I don't know. I'd have to look that up. But a young guy who's still working his way through the system who isn't making much money, drafted or not, he's not making much money. Dollar for dollar, that's what you have to ask yourself. And that's what stunned me. Now, with Shaq Barrett, it very well could be that he wants so much that right. like you said, they just they just know they can't do it. Right. And we've we've mentioned a few times how many pass rushers are hitting the market. They can just do what they did two years ago when they signed Shaq Barrett. He he comes in as a stranger and he has nineteen sacks. No. So I'm, they'll find another pass rusher to come in. Maybe you can get two or three pass rushers for less than what it would cost to keep Shaq Barrett for a year. No, I I mean you're right. Mike, you, you made that point on on text yesterday. And when you said it, I went, ooh, that's a really good point. There's, I, that, that might be part of the equation. You're right. With the fact that if he's asking for some huge, you know, and what was his going to be his franchise tag? going 18.99 million. 18.99 So I don't know what he's asking for, but there is a lot of guys out there, like you're talking about, on the edge, right, who won't be able to command Shaquille Barrett-type money and – you know, he's a guy, again, you know, he was a, a middle-round pick, if I remember correctly, coming out of Colorado State, drafted by Denver, doing all that. He's just starting to make money. So he might be one of those guys that looks at it and goes, you know, l listen, I love the Bucks and I'd love to be here for a winner, but it's it's time for, you know, Big Daddy here to get paid, right? Uh, he, so he might be one of those that goes, I don't – I need the money. I want, I want some security, some long-term stuff and all that, and that becomes an issue. Okay, but then, yes, to your point – you know, there's a there's guys out there like Leonard Floyd, for an example, and and a lot of other players to where you go, wow, that's a really good player. That's not going to be able to command eighteen million dollars a year or anything in that ballpark. And I, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I could see that. You know, Yannick Ngakwe, can he command that kind of money out on the free on the market? I don't think so. Not at this point. It's a good good chunk of change, and I don't expect it to be him. But just adding to your point, there are a lot of good edge pass rushers out there. And that's what's amazing because we are reminded from time to time, specifically in the Super Bowl, how important it is to have great pass rushers. And then we kind of forget about it. And then we're reminded of it again yeah. by some dominant pass rushing performance in the Super Bowl. So this is a valuable position. I would put quarterback, pass rusher, tackle. I don't know. How do you rank them well, as overall value? I, is it is pass rusher more valuable than a tackle? I think so. I do. Yes. Yeah. The, the, yeah. I, I think I look at that and just go a pass rusher, an elite pass rusher can affect the game in so many ways. And tackle, of course, is very important for all the reasons to block those guys. But man, a really elite defense and, you know, they affect the run game. They can be great that way. And then, of course, the, the amount of, forget the sacks and things like that, it's the disruption, it's the quarterback pressures, everything that, that helps the secondary. So I, I would say that's probably the number two thing on my list too. 
And that's what makes it amazing that so many of them are going to be floating around, and that's got to be factoring into the Buccaneers' thinking. This isn't something they just randomly did. This isn't just, well, Tommy wants his receiver here, so we have to keep the receiver, and we'll just have to figure something out on defense. Defense has to be a priority. Their defense has been a key part of that championship run. That, That defense helped them. In many situations, that defense kept the Packers from parlaying three consecutive Tom Brady interceptions into a victory, what would have been a stunning come-from-behind victory. They were down 28-10, to 10, Green Bay was. The defense stiffened on two of those three Big drives time. and kept the Packers from right. taking the lead. And then we know what happened. Yeah, but down at the end, it was. I assume that was one of the drives from – uh, resulting from one of the interceptions yeah, where was. they almost uh, right. scored the the touchdown and didn't uh, go for it on fourth uh, down and, and all didn't that. go for it on fourth down. Yeah, right. so um, defense important, but maybe they think they can find another Shaq Barrett and not have to pay that kind of and, money. And, Barrett did say yeah. not that long ago he wants to break the bank. So we know, we know that his objective is to get paid maximum dollars, and to get maximum dollars, he may have to go well, somewhere. I, I, that that's where when you really look at it and you hear those comments and just. That that was my first thought. Like I said, that he might be asking for you know they realized man it's this is going to be a one year thing and he's out of here because he's looking to break the bank. And from, listen, from Shaquille Barrett's standpoint, he can look at other defense ends in football right now and go, wait, I've been better than these guys for three years now and they're making a ton of money. And here I'll just throw out some names. I mean, he certainly can look at Demarcus Lawrence and Frank Clark, who I you know I got a lot of respect for Frank Clark and what he does. But he can look at them realistically and go, wait, I've been better than them for two or three years now. He can look at Trey Flowers, who went from New England to the the Detroit Lions, who's making $18 million a year, and go, I'm I'm definitely better than him. There's there's no doubt about it. So I affect the game in more areas and do all those type of things. So from that standpoint, you look at it, and yeah, I I look at Shaquille Barrett, and I'm not mad at him if he's asking for $20 million a year and north of that for where the market is and things like that, and he's the next guy up and all of that. So uh, it'll be interesting to watch what what happens with him here as we go along. And, and, you know, it's not just looking at the guys who are going to hit the market. It's considering the guys who may still yet hit the market. Von Miller and the Broncos have yet to figure out their situation. The Broncos – obviously and reportedly want Von Miller to take less than $18 million this year. If he hits the market, we don't know what kind of conversations he and Tom Brady have been having. You know, there's all sorts of tampering that isn't really tampering that happens among players. The idea of Tom and Von reuniting or uniting, they've never been united before except on opposite sides of the ball in Tampa you know, that, 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 that's just one of the paths that the Buccaneers can take. It is. And that's where the challenge becomes forgetting who the guy is, forgetting what he's done, and saying we got to make a good decision. And the other side of this, too, and this may be why Barrett wants so much money. I mean, he knows what else is out there. All it takes is one owner to, to say, I want that guy. I want that guy. I want that guy. And you know what? His team is going to pay that guy. Sure. And – and that, that getting that guy who was part of a Super Bowl run and making him the centerpiece of your free agency class and also hurting the Buccaneers or thinking you're hurting the Buccaneers, that's part of this game too. There's a strong business component to free agency. You know, I've seen every, every year at this time we see the articles and the analyses which point to a conclusion that we already know. You don't build a championship team in free agency by spending big money. No. You do it by being smart and right. waiting for the market to settle and right. shopping for bargains. But – you build a successful financial operation in part 
by creating excitement by going out and overpaying a free agent because you get season ticket renewals, you sell jerseys, you take attention away from other leagues, teams in other leagues in your market. There are business reasons for it to happen that are independent of whether or not it's ever going to help you win a Super Bowl. And that's part of the reality. And even in a year with a reduced cap, Chris, there's going to be teams that want to make that splash, especially as we recover from the pandemic. We start thinking about selling tickets for 2021. It helps to sell tickets if you can say, we got Shaq Barrett away from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. No, no doubt about that. There is that aspect. Some teams looking to make a splash, just get, you know, in the good favor of the, the fans, get a little hype and propaganda going about, hey, we're doing the right things as an organization here. We're trying to win and do that. And that could very easily be Shaq Barrett. He would fit that mold. Too, to where you might not, you're not going to have to pay him to be the highest paid defensive end in the history of football or anything like that, but you're going to be able to give him a splash contract and go, look, did you see what he did? Did you, did you see all those highlights of him chasing down Mahomes and all over him? And did you see all those big sacks he had against Aaron Rodgers in that game? Yet the guy's big time. He shows up in big moments, and that will excite a fan base to what you're saying. All right, uh, some other guys who were yeah, tagged. Let's, let's move to the them. offensive line other than Brandon Scherf. <laughs> Taylor Moten, Panthers, and Cam Robinson, Jaguars, a couple of teams that entered the league together in 1995. Moten, not a surprise. Cam, a mild surprise, although yeah. the, the possibility of Cam Robinson being tagged was on the radar screen, and Urban Meyer explained yesterday the thought process. They're, you know, The new coaching staff looked carefully at Cam Robinson and decided they needed to keep him, and yeah. they've got the cap space to do it, so they're keeping him from hitting free agency. Yeah, I mean, that that was a surprise to me. But when you break it down and what Urban Meyer said, you know, again, it goes into a little bit of like it's the overall state of the offensive line that I think gets taken to an account here where Urban Meyer looks at it and goes, wait, you know, a little bit like Allen Robinson with the Bears. He goes, well, this is, this is the really only quality offensive lineman we got on the football team here. Everything else is a little bit, you know, dicey here. There's no like mainstay dominant football player. And Cam Robinson's real good. Is he worth, you know, franchise tag type money? Not to me, he's not. Um, but when you take in the current, you know, situation and the things he's talking about, he's trying to build something, he's gonna draft Trevor Lawrence. Well, okay, we got a pretty good one that we think can make we can make him better to draft it and protect Trevor Lawrence and do those type of things. So from all that standpoint, it makes sense. Yeah, I don't think he's one of the three or four or five best tackles in football. I don't, uh, and I think most people would agree with that. So that was a little bit of a surprise, but I think when you take in the whole team and roster into account, it does make sense for, for what Urban said. Safeties also got tagged yesterday beyond Justin Simmons. Marcus Williams of the Saints, yeah. that was a surprise. That Marcus was. May of the Jets was not. Uh, and what surprised me about the Saints, all the cap issues we're talking about, right. I figured they'd be the last team to consider using the tag on anyone. I, I went through this exercise on my, my podcast like two weeks ago, and we talked about Marcus Williams. And now he's a guy that is worthy of the franchise tag, but I didn't think they would do it, not with the current state of where they're at. I mean, holy cow, do they got a lot of work to do in New Orleans. What are they going to do here? You know, I know you can make it work and do a lot of stuff, but they are – where, where is their current status, Mike, right now as far as the salary cap? I mean, it's way, way over still. I mean, way over. I, I, I want to say it's – there we go. Here's Pete, Johnny on the spot. Yeah, I was going to say it's close to $60 million. Wow. So that's yeah. – they got a lot of fat to trim. Holy cow. And I, I'm going to be interested to see who goes by the wayside and what they can do to make this happen. 
Well, I know one guy that, that very well could be gone in the next week, and that's Marshawn Lattimore. He's got an eight-figure salary in his option year coming up. It becomes fully guaranteed on the first day of the league year. Unless he takes less, he could be gone. That's an easy way to take a chunk out of that, but you still got a lot more that you have to do, a lot of work that needs to be done. They've been restructuring contracts, and they're still in that spot. Now, the problem this time of year is that the, the, the numbers like the one we just put up doesn't always reflect recent efforts to reduce the cap. So, you know, they're getting closer. They're doing what they can. And Mickey Loomis, who received plenty of praise on Twitter yesterday for somehow, someway figuring it out. And that's the reality. They will find a way to figure it out. Oh, They'll yeah. do whatever they have to do, well, period. Yeah. And if, if they have to just cut guys, they're going to cut guys. Well, that's where you look at it, all right? And you just try to look at, okay, who's the guys that – got a big ca- you know cap hit and there's a good difference between the cap hit and the dead money and what there is there to be had you talked about Marshawn Lattimore uh, okay yeah that's right they could they could take a huge chunk off Te- like you said 10 million dollars a look at Janoris Jenkins who played really good football last year but they could save around 7 million with him Teron Armstead yeah, real good left tackle, but has been injured and getting up there in years. They can save another $7 million with him. Are they going to make those type of moves? That's what I'm interested to, to see here for Mickey Loomis, Sean Payton, and kind of how they orchestrate their team here going forward. And I, it just looks to me on the outside looking in that they're going to have to make some uncomfortable moves here and cut some guys that they don't want to cut. Uh, but that's just the reality of the situation. One thing that I've been looking at is the possibility of a Michael Thomas trade. Yeah. Because remember, there was some discussion along right. those lines when the the relationship went south during the season. But if they would trade him pre-June uh, pre 1, them, they right? are looking at, my gosh, they are looking at $20 million in acceleration. Yeah. So, yeah, they would avoid... 12 million or so in payment to him, almost 13 million in payment, but you're going to take a $20 million cap charge to trade him. Post June 1, they could pull it off, but uh, that, that's a guy that's going to be very hard to, to chop his down. But you basically have to go player by player, line by line, contract by contract, and see what fat can we trim here? What can we do here to maybe push some money into future years or get a guy to take a, a pay cut where we're not moving money around or just get rid of the guy altogether? And then what are the cap consequences if he's traded or if he's released? And that's what a good general manager has to do. The problem this year for every team, and specifically for the teams that already were going to be pressed up against the cap, you've got $15.7 million left. That's the less. That's the expected drop. Right. I'm told it's almost definitely going to be 182.5. That's 15.7 less than what it was going to be. So it's going to make it more of a challenge. Drew Brees did them a hell of a favor yes, by dropping did. his base salary from 25 to the minimum of 1.075. But even then, even then, that was just that was just the first cut. They still have a lot to do to get this figured out. Um, and and now they've got an eight-figure salary that will be devoted to Marcus Williams that they they need to get figured out. And and here, here's the other side of it too. Until he signs it. They could rescind it if they wanted to. They're not bound by this. If sure. they if they just get to a point where we can't get from here to there right. as they're figuring out the cap and they need another ten million, they just rescind the tag the old Josh Marcus Norman Williams. Move. Right. As as long as he doesn't sign it. Once he signs it, and if you're Marcus Williams, you may you may want to think about yeah. you know, checkmate here right. and saying, I want the, I'll take that. I'll take that eight figure salary. But uh, they could always pull it away and that could be a way that they 
that they help get to where they are. But yeah, it's not going to be easy. A lot of sleepless nights for Mickey Loomis and his staff coming Man. up over the course of the next week. Yeah, really. I mean, it really is. And again, they're still a team that you look at and go, wow, they're a quality football team. Yeah, they're a year, a year older. But even without Drew Brees, I expect the Saints to be very relevant next year. Um, but, but I mean, you got to see how this all shakes out because they're going to have to make some tough decisions. I don't know if that's going to be via trade, things like that, whatever. Uh, but they're going to have to get real creative here. As creative as I can remember any top team in the league here in recent history. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Mike, but I just – I was kind of trying to think about it, you know, on the drive in here to the show today. Like, I don't remember a team – like a Saints, you know, upper echelons, cream of the crop type of football. There team. we go. Yep, I'm getting there. Uh, no, you're not. You I, said upper I, echelon. Oh, you're right. Again. Upper echelon. You're right. Upper echelon. Sorry, sorry. It rolls off the upper tongue way better. Echelon. Lawn. There's no T in there. N. Oh, there is a no, no T in there. Uh, the hell with it. I don't care if I ever get it right. So don't worry. Don't even. Some fix of these me things we fix <laughs> with one. Some. It's a process. We got him to take the S off of upper echelons. Now we got to get him to drop the T and just call it upper <laughs> echelon. That's the next. Phase but do you remember a team there. ever like uh, that? that has Not like this. Right. Right. Well, well, I, I remember a team like the Titans at one point where they just accepted that for this year they were in cap purgatory. So you know there's certain things they couldn't do, and uh, you know I remember teams scrambling to make sure they had enough cap space left to sign their draft picks. You know that that used to be pre 2006, really. That used to be an issue. It started to subside after the 2006 CBA, and after 2011, you rarely hear of it. The Steelers and the right. Cowboys are really the only teams you ever hear of having to scramble to create cap space. And this whole idea of restructuring contracts, it, you, you don't avoid the cap dollars. You just push them into future years. But as the cap keeps going up and up and up, those dollars have a, a lower relative value. There's right. deflation because a dollar today under this cap means a hell of a lot less under a future cap when there's more dollars to spend and that's what teams do that's part of what the saints are going to have to do push money into future years of course one of the problems is past money from drew Brees pushed into this year that's one of the reasons why they're in this mess when you kick the can at some point there's a reckoning and if the cap drops that's when the reckoning arrives yeah chris's reckoning is arriving at least the first phase of it because he multitasked during the first segment unless someone else posted the tweet the poll so far now this is very very early returns that's only 125 votes we're up to 1900 and it's worse it's 81.9 percent no you monster on the question of whether it's okay to pour liquid into a trash can your first response though says yes as long as i'm the one who has to take out the trash thank you very much Dan Turco with an umlaut over the O, so that, it may that, not be Turco. That, the, the, where I don't Turk buy out. this, I don't buy this bullcrap here right here, okay? I think we got a lot of Twitter users right now that are, are you kidding me? How many of them throw in, like, you know, a huge thing of Coke, uh, a 32-ounce or a big gulp or something like that, and they throw it away with 10 ounces left in there? That, that's some baloney. I don't think people are being real about this. I think they're being accurate, and I think they're being reasonable, and I think they're being fair to whoever has to deal with the mess that is left in the trash can. Let's take a break. We're going to talk about the guys who didn't get tagged on Tuesday when PFT Live continues right after this.
All right, celebrate. If you didn't get tagged, plenty of guys were not tagged on on Tuesday, and we thought there was a chance they would be. Only two receivers tagged. Kenny Galladay was the biggest surprise of guys who were not tagged. We didn't expect Juju Smith-Schuster to be tagged in Pittsburgh. The other guys on this list, we, we really didn't have them on the radar screen. Galladay's the one that the indication seemed to be the Lions were going to tag him. We had Dan Campbell, the coach of the team, talking last week that it's actually a good thing to be tagged, even though it's not. So Galladay not tagged. He didn't play much last year, Chris. And this is something Shereen Williams and I were kicking around last night. I can't help but wonder whether his frustration with not getting a long-term deal last year before the season started contributed to his willingness or lack thereof to play with a tweaked hamstring the old hold in and I'm not passing judgment here it happens from time to time where a guy isn't willing to go out there and take risks with his body when he's yet to get his financial security that's right no that's a real aspect I mean of course what what do you expect I mean what 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 do people expect do they think that's really fair to that guy again he's his own business so his business is being able to play football and if he can't play it, you know, towards the 100% level, let alone he's got not getting the financial security to go, okay, I'll, I'll risk it. It's all right. The team's invested in me, and, and I'll go out there and do what I got to do. You know, we saw that over this past year, that, team, that emboldened players to do that. You know, whether it was Dalvin Cook or Alvin Kamara, okay, you paid me. I'll play. I'm not 100%, whatever it is. Get it done. Yeah, I've talked about that story with Brandon Brandon Marshall many a times, right? I'm in the locker room in Philadelphia. And he's a psycho, of course, because he wants to play and beat DBs up and run over safeties and doing all that. And he's frustrated. We're sitting there looking at our other's uniforms in the mirror, getting ready just to go out here. And he just looks at me and he yells, ah! And I'm like, what? What's up, dude? And he's, I, I, I can't do this. I can't, I can't play like this. I can't lay it all on the line when I'm two games away from being a free agent and setting up my family. And it's not in the NFL player's DNA to want to do that. But this is the way the rules are. Business is business. And Kenny Galladay, I'm sure that was part of you know the issue. But I'm still shocked he didn't get tagged. I'm shocked. Marvin Jones, free agent, You know, there's not really any receiver on that roster that you look at and go, okay, he's special. He's got a chance. Um, I, I thought they would keep him, especially since they got Jared Goff and they might want to, you know, they want to make that work and make him look good. So I'll be interested to see where this goes and if they can get a deal done with Kenny Galladay. Plenty of great receivers in the draft, but it's a ton of work that needs to be done to get these guys ready to go. And just because you saw Justin Jefferson last year do great right out of the gates and we saw other guys, yeah. lower level guys like Gabriel Davis and Buffalo do right. great. That doesn't mean you're going to bat a thousand with something like that. You're taking a chance by having a rookie instead of a veteran. And with, with Galladay, he had 1190 receiving yards in 2019 pro bowler started all games, 116 receptions, 11 touchdowns. Last year, he played in five games with 20 catches. He had 65 catches. I'm looking at his target, 65 catches in 2019, still a pro bowler with 1190 yards, 20 catches last year for 338. And uh, now he hits the open market. And the question is, do other teams who understand how this works understand that the production was down last year because the playing time was down and the playing time was down because he wasn't comfortable going forward with uh, the the contract year and not getting the contract reward. And uh, if people get that, 
then he'll still get a significant contract on the open market. Well, the, the, what jumps out to me there, at least like if I was going to, you know, read between the tea leaves, right, with a, a good simsism there, w w the fact that they didn't franchise tag him, uh, that makes me believe that they're kind of going into a semi-full overhaul, right? Like it's a new, it's a new coach. You know, we got the new quarterback, and we're we're changing over this football team. We're flipping it over all together, and we'll get all new pieces and do that, right? I mean, that's at least what it seems like to me from the outside looking in right now. It's it's the kneecap biter mentality. Now we have fun with that Dan Campbell quote that he wants guys who's going to bite one kneecap off on the way down and the other kneecap off on the way up, but it's that hard nosed blue collar, old school, rough and tumble football that the Lions are going to be injecting into the organization. And yeah. it comes from Chris Spielman. Rick Spielman, Chris's brother, said last week on PFTPM that when his wife saw the Dan Campbell introductory press conference, she said, that's exactly the guy that Chris is gonna was going to hire. He was destined to hire a guy like that to be the head coach of the team. That's the mindset. So, you know, they're going to go out and find some yeah, roughnecks. And you're right. We, we've Anthony Lynn's the, the OC, about, right? Hey, yeah. that 49ers team. In 2019, the way that defense played, you know, we've talked about reduced opportunities to have live tackling in practice, reduced padded practices, reduced opportunities to get guys to the point where they have that Jim Harbaugh-style callus right. where they can just go out and do it. So you find guys who are wired to do it. You find guys who will run into a wall, bounce off, and laugh. Yeah. That's what they're going to be looking for. They're going to, if they, if they know how to find these guys, they're going to have some badasses on that team that uh, across the board are going to be rough and tough, right. and they may not bite off your kneecap, but but they definitely will try. Yeah, I agreed. I, I would think that, I mean, that's going to be the mantra of their football team. It's going to be, we're going to beat you up physically. Dan Campbell just came from a team that, that that's what they had too. Like you talk about the 49ers in 2019, the Saints are one of those teams too. You know, I, we always think about it as Drew Brees and throwing the ball, but they're, they've been one of the most physical teams in the NFL for the last five years. That's, they're fun to watch on film because they try to kill people. That's what I respect about them. So, yeah, he's going to take that Bill Parcells, Sean Payton approach, it seems like. Anthony Lynn wants to run the football, play a physical brand of football as an offensive coordinator and do that. It seems to be the way. Either way, I'm still surprised with Galladay just because he is – he is a, you know, he's a real threat on the outside. You see the average yards per catch. He's a deep ball threat. He's a great 50-50 guy. And, of course, he can do some of the underneath stuff too. But he is a real home run threat. And that's where I was a little surprised uh, that they didn't, they didn't get it done or, or, or franchise him altogether. Another mild surprise, the Packers didn't mm. apply the franchise tag to running back Aaron Jones. They're still negotiating with him. They don't want to pay him top-tier running back money. And, Chris, something I firmly believe Running backs only get top-tier money from the team that they entered the league with. You become a free agent, you're Melvin Gordon, you're getting $8 million a year right. at best. And I think the Packers are trying to be aware of that and not get caught up in paying Aaron Jones just so they can tell their fans, we've kept Aaron Jones. They want to pay Aaron Jones something that's more in line with what the market would bear. Well, I, I can understand that. You know, We hit on this a little bit yesterday as far as Aaron Jones – Yes, he's a really good running back. He's explosive element to their football team. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm asking you. I mean, I don't look at Aaron Jones and think he's one of the five best running backs in football. Do you? I mean, I don't look at it that way. I think he's really damn good. 
Um, he he's explosive and a big play threat, but I don't think he's in the category of like the Alvin Kamara's, the Dalvin Cooks, the Derrick Henrys, or the Christian McCaffrey, or even the Joe Mixons when he's healthy. I think he's that next group of guys down. So I don't know what he's asking for or what kind of money. That's that's really the big thing. But either way, I'm shocked. And I know they're not in the best salary cap position, but it's not like horrible. I, I would have thought they would try to sign him, you know, franchise him, and then try to figure out a way, you know, to get a contract done. What what's the franchise tag number for for a running back right now? The estimate was like eleven million, which seems really really high, and right. we're really really heavy. They're telling me we should take a break. Okay, let's so do it. we'll be tracking the Aaron yeah. Jones thing over the course of the next week because he's in play right. to get paid by someone, Packers or someone else, maybe the Miami Dolphins, maybe someone else. We'll take a break. We'll be back with more right after this. No scouting combine, but plenty of pro day workouts. Rashawn Slater, glasses on, Bob Greasy style. Can he do it? That's a lot of plates I there. Love the, the, well, I That's love how the weight coach five, is slapping him in the back. That's a front squat? Whoa. Whoa. How do you not compress your spine? And there it is. No problem. Man, he's going. Whoa, deep. got two. He's got one. two of them. Oh, man. Can he get three? Can he get three? Does he have the legs and butt to do three, Chris? Yes, he does. And glasses stay on. Wow. Wow. I love, wait, can we rewind that one more time? I love, he legitimately was was pissed. You know, sorry, Manchester or Liverpool. But yes, like that weight coach was messing with him, slapping him in the back. He was, he was literally getting mad there. Like he wanted to like push him back and do something to him, but that's phenomenal. How many plates were on each side? Did you, was it five? I saw five or six. I don't wow. Know. So that's important difference. That's close five to six. 500 pounds. I think. Whoa. That's a lot. That's a lot a of more weight. than you can do. Slightly more. <laughs> we'll be right back. 